Hello and welcome to the St Mark's podcast. Whether you regularly join us at church on Sundays or you're joining us for the very first time, we hope that this week's talk inspires you and draws you closer to Jesus. Today's reading is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likelessness, and being found in appearance as man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray for Ben as he comes um, to speak to us. Father, thank you for Ben. Lord, thank you for the words that you have um, placed on his heart, Lord, the words that he's prepared. We pray, Lord, you would empower him with your spirit, Lord, that he might speak words uh, with power. Lord, speak your word. Lord, would you open up our ears and our hearts to hear and respond to you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Well, as Matt's already said, my name's Ben. I am on staff here at St. Mark's. I oversee worship, production, and Alpha. And um, me and Emma, my wife, and my daughter Phoebe are a part of St. Mark's and love living in Grimsby. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at how Jesus gives us a new heart and a new purpose. And this week, we get to look at how he gives us a new attitude. It can be so easy to look for happiness in all of the wrong places. We can look for happiness in money, sex, relationships, and whether we have that latest toy or gizmo that we really, really want, that thing we're hoping for that we think is going to bring fulfillment. The thing is, if last month's present giving ritual that happened on Christmas Day teaches us anything, it's this. With all of these things, the novelty will eventually wear off. As incredible as it was in 2003, the best gift I could possibly receive as a 10-year-old was the original Xbox, complete with Project Gotham Racing 2, and an additional controller so that we could have family jewels in split-screen mode. And as great as it was, and it was great, me and my brother quickly found out that the Xbox was actually 
often the source of disagreement and not the source of happiness. And now, some 20 years later, which I can't quite believe, it's probably somewhere in a cupboard or in the loft, gathering dust and hardly useful. Never again will it give me that spark of joy that it gave me that Christmas day some 20 years ago. So as we launch into today's passage, Paul, he says he seems to have found the source and the secret to happiness, and he hasn't found it in the place you might expect. Paul is in prison, he's chained to a Roman soldier, he's guarded, he's unjustly accused with little or no comforts, and he is ultimately facing death. And most importantly, he can no longer do what he most loves to do in the world. I wonder what that, that thing would be for you is if you could um, not do that thing that gives you the most fulfillment, what would it be? For Paul, it was preaching the gospel. And yet, he effectively writes in verse 2, I'm 99% happy. My joy is almost complete. And we might think, we might expect Paul to, to say that my joy will be complete if I can be let out of prison. Or maybe my joy will be complete if I could just not be chained to a guard for 24 hours a day. Or potentially um, my joy will be complete if I could have a nice little foam mattress topper so that my uncomfortable bed would be a little bit more comfortable. Um, but he says that the thing that will complete his joy is not to do with his own needs. It's to do with the needs of the church in Philippi. You see, in chapter 4, which we'll hear about in a few weeks' time, we hear about this little nigg niggle um, of disunity between two women called Euodia and Syntyche. And, and it's not like there's been a big church split. There hasn't been a huge scandal. Nothing, has re nothing really bad has gone on. But Paul can see that there are warning signs, um, and he knows that the devil's always trying to worm his way in and sow seeds of disunity. And so he's appealing to the church in Philippi with, with all he can muster to call them to a place of unity. First, he appeals to their unity in Christ. He says, being united in Christ. And as Christians, we are in Christ and he is in us. And this means that what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. His grace and his resources become our experience and our possession. Jesus is the source of our unity. And to the Philippians, Paul is saying the very fact they are Christians should be a huge incentive for them to find a place of unity. For us as a church today, Paul is saying that the very fact we are Christians should be the starting point of a place of togetherness, a place of unity. Jesus is our common ground and our common goal. Secondly, he uses the argument of God's love, if any comfort from his love. 
Paul is saying that if any of us have re like received and accepted and known that redeeming love of God, then it, it's almost impossible not to acknowledge that we have to then give that love away because we are all equally loved by God. So if you've received that redeeming love of God for yourself, he's saying you should be giving that away too. Thirdly, he points to the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. If any common sharing in the Spirit, every Christian has the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And it's the Holy Spirit who unites us and draws us closer together. And fourthly, he appeals to Christian, Christian love, tenderness and compassion. I wonder what our world would look like if we, were, we actually learned the meaning of the word compassion. Uh, I don't think we'd have half of the, the issues going on that we currently do in our world if we knew what it meant to be compassionate. If we, if we learn to love one another, then it's, it's impossible to hate one another. Um, so Paul is saying, make, make my joy complete by seeking unity, by being united as a church, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And this unity doesn't have to come at the cost of uniformity. He's not saying that he wants us all to look the same, learn the same language, sound the same, dress the same, um, you know, be the same person. He's not saying, once like a church full of mini robots that are going to go out and do exactly the same thing um, at the cost of our personalities um, and our skill sets and our giftings. We might not actually always agree on the method of how we go about being the church or how we do things, but what he is saying is that our common goal, the thing that binds us together, remains central to who we are, is Jesus. There we go, we have covered two verses. Over, over the next couple of verses, Paul shares with us the wrong attitudes. So if unity is the goal, one thing that will get in the way is having the wrong attitude. And the first wrong attitude Paul gives us is selfish ambition. It's not that ambition in and of itself is wrong. Ambition is the desire to succeed, and there's nothing wrong with it if it's in line with God's will and ambition for us. What's wrong, Paul says, is selfish ambition. Ambition focusing on our own wants and our own desires, focusing on what we can get from people rather than what we can give to people, focusing on how a situation will serve us rather than how we can serve other people. So selfish ambition ultimately leads to a life of comparison and insecurity and dissatisfaction. Definitely one to avoid. The second wrong attitude Paul lists is vain conceit. And uh, you might be thinking, what is vain conceit? It's, it is the attitude of self-importance. And we see this in the world around us. We live in a world where we get a lot of our information from influencers. 
We have an influencer culture. You don't have to look very far to see it. It's a world of inflated ego, people longing to be admired and respected or seen to have a seat at the table. Our world loves a VIP too. In, in 2006, the number plate VIP1 came up for sale. And I did a bit of Googling and found out that Roman Abramovich bought it for 285,000 pounds. That's like 10 years salary for, like it's just, yeah, it's just, it's insane. It's a decade's worth, more than a decade's worth of money that somebody has gone, you know what, I need, I need people to know that I'm important. And in a way, it's kind of sickening. There's something quite unattractive about it. The thing is, it's easy to point a finger at somebody with a lot and say that's unattractive, but when we look at ourselves, um, ultimately, it's easy to have that same attitude for ourselves, um, just not realize it's, it's so big a problem. Um, if each of us are focusing on ourselves, it is unattractive, but if we're focusing on how we um, can be united and, and on those around us. We can let go of self-importance. Paul says, in humility, we're to consider others better than ourselves. And that's not, not false humility, like the idea that Lewis Hamilton would say that I'm a better driver than him, because that would be a bit ridiculous, right? But um, it's flipping the switch on the driver to self-importance and, and always wanting our own wants and our own needs to come at the cost and the expense of other people. And the third wrong attitude Paul lists is self-centeredness. It's being concerned only with ourselves and our own interest. And the problem with self-centeredness is the more we focus in on ourselves, our own interests, the less we become aware of the goings on of those around us. We kind of lose sight as we hone in on the inside. Paul says we shouldn't look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And this is how we treat our family, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors, and even members of our church. It's about how we go about our conversations and what we give concern to in thought and prayer. So if we've heard about these wrong attitudes, selfish ambition, vain conceit, self-importance, attitudes that leave no room for unity, then what is this new attitude that Jesus gives to us? Well, in verses 5 to 11, Paul shares with us what's probably an early Christian hymn, and arguably one of the most important passages that he writes in the New Testament. Here we see the attitude of Jesus himself, which Paul suggests we should adopt as our own. There's three things, and they kind of they flip the, uh, the wrong attitudes upside down. So the first thing, Jesus gives up his natural status, um, and if, you're, if you want your mind blown, I, I was doing a bit of reading on this little passage, and um, like, yeah, 
Philippians 2 verse 6, Matt could probably do a whole sermon series on just that little nugget of, <laughs> of scripture. Um, being in very nature God. Um, Jesus was in very nature God. His, his form was God. His unchangeable being is God. And yet, it says he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This is the opposite of selfish ambition. Instead of trying to clear others out of the way and put himself on a pedestal, and he could do, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he didn't need to elevate his own status because he's already there. Um, But instead of coming as a king, he came in the form of a baby born into squalor because he wasn't ambitious for himself but for God and for us. Secondly, Jesus let go of his social status and this is the opposite of selfish, sorry, vain conceit or self-importance. Jesus made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In Mark 10, verses 45, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And Jesus is the God who washes our feet. And that is an act that was seen as so degrading that Jewish servants wouldn't have to do that for their masters. Thirdly, Jesus lets go of his legal status, humbling himself even further. This is the opposite of self-centeredness. He gave up his right to life by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If Jesus had chosen selfish ambition, vain conceit, or self-centeredness, he wouldn't have died on the cross because his journey wouldn't have led him there. But he chose that path and he died the death of a criminal, tortured on a horrific device reserved for the lowest in society and giving his life as a ransom for many. He died so that we might have life and he became like us so that we might become like him. Jesus gives us a new attitude, his own attitude, one of humility, one of preferring others above ourselves and finding common ground in him. So how do we take on this new identity? If we read verse 5 of the passage today, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, as Christ Jesus. But a better translation of this might be, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Um, and in other words, Paul is suggesting that this attitude is ours in Christ. It's given to us as we enter into relationship with Jesus. We've already heard today that if we are in Christ, we are in him and he is in us. And we've also heard that the Holy Spirit is living within us. 
Um, and one way of understanding this kind of idea is um, a bit like this. So on Thursday, I took this photo of Emma and of Phoebe. I was uh, quite busy prepping some tea before rushing out to a worship practice, and uh, they were both sat in our sunroom, Emma reading a book, and Phoebe watching Bluey, which she often does just before dinner, um, having some quality introvert time. So, you see, Emma is a huge introvert. She charges by spending time by herself, and she needs that time alone. And I'm not convinced quite yet that Phoebe is an introvert, because she does love being around people. But there is something about Phoebe that is marked by Emma. She's Emma's daughter, and she's inherited something of Emma's need for time alone in order to recharge. Will Emma automatically, sorry, will Phoebe automatically grow into Emma? No. But does she share her DNA and some of her likeness? Absolutely. You can see it in her face and the way that she is in her character. It's the same with us and Jesus. As Christians, as followers of Christ, many Christs, we take on his likeness. We, rec we receive God's blessing and we're made co-heirs in Christ. And it's something that is a gift, it's our inheritance, but it's also something that we have to work at and work out learning how to become more like him. We see this in the, the story of Jesus' disciples. They so often made some crazy mistakes, even though they were right there in front of the very man himself. In Jesus, we have an attitude, an example we're called to follow. So each day, we get the opportunity to adopt the words of John the Baptist. He must become greater, and I must become less. And that might not be kind of the path to greatness that the world suggests, but it is the path to greatness in the eyes of God. The passage says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That ev at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus taught that true greatness comes from service. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, in Mark chapter 10. He also taught that humility will lead to exaltation. So for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said that in Luke 14. And Peter writes that we should clothe ourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He goes on to say, humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in good time. And Paul teaches us that this principle taught by Jesus and learnt by his disciples, was fulfilled in Jesus' death, life, death, and resurrection. Jesus 
humbled himself to the lowest position and God exalted him to the highest place. What is our new attitude? It's the attitude of Jesus, flipping the understanding of the world upside down, changing our trajectory and growing in humility in order that we can be a people of unity. So, to wrap things up, we're almost there. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's found in verse 11 of our passage today, and it's probably one of the first creeds of the church. Before councils and theologians started the last 2,000 years of arguing about um, the doctrine of atonement or whether women are able to lead or, you know, predestination, is that a thing? Do we get free will or not? Maybe uh, whether we're supposed to be culturally relevant as a church. Before any of those thoughts became arguments that started seeds of disunity within the wider church, the church was united around this statement, Jesus Christ is Lord. And if we as a church can take this passage Philippians 2 and learn a new attitude of humility that attitude of Jesus if we can learn to be like-minded and centered on the statement that Jesus Christ is Lord if we can learn to have the same love for one another because Jesus is Lord if we can be one in spirit and one in mind learning to prefer the needs of those around us the people on our left and our right, because Jesus is Lord. What kind of statement does that make to the Nunsthorpe and to the Grange and to Grimsby and Cleethorpes and, and beyond? It's a statement that you really can actually receive a greater love, that in Jesus there really is a greater life. That this new attitude truly is transformational. So, Jesus gives us a new attitude. Let's choose to prefer those around us, to elevate those around us, because Jesus is Lord, and we are united in him. Amen? Amen. Well, can I invite you to stand? We're going to take some time to respond to, to what we've heard today. And we do this every week. We just um, spend some time waiting on the Holy Spirit, allowing God to speak to us. So um, in this moment, I just encourage you to, to hold your hands out. Um, it's a bit like you're receiving a gift. Um, and if you're comfortable, close your eyes. That might just help you to focus on, on God and not get distracted by those around you. And we just play, pray the age-old prayer of the church. We pray, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here.